Well, good afternoon, lovely people. Good afternoon. Thank you for listening to WMNF. WMNF Tampa, the best little station in the nation. This show is called Art in Your Ear. My name is Joanne Schilke. I am the hostess who loves you absolutely the mostest. Uh, we started off the show with Rebecca Pulley, Let It Shine, and we've got some Art Crumb and his cheap suits, serenaders, in the background on today's show. Ah, so good. Uh, Peter Kagayama is coming in to talk about his new book, Hunter's Point. Uh, there's also a ton of stuff going on, but I want to let you know that support for WMNF comes from listeners like you and Suki222 with a mission of two gallons of clean water per person to, per day, 2,000 nutritional calories, and 200 cubic feet of secure shelter as the basis for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Visit Suki222.org for more information. And those are the numbers. It's Suki, S-U-K-H-I, 222.org for that information. Also want to let you know there's so much going on in this beautiful world that we live in, but excitingly enough, this weekend is the Tampa... Oh, look, I lost my I lost, I lost my screen. Uh, it's the Tampa Bay Black Heritage Festival, and one of the fun parts of that festival is Sundays when you get to see all sorts of WMNFers out there. Uh, DJ Tune Selecta will be uh, spinning uh, right there at noon. Uh, a lot of times, uh, people from the Righteous Temple of Hip Hop, Saturday Night Shutdown, and all bunch of our shows are out there. Plus, I believe WMNF will have a table there, and our own DJ Spaceship is going to be uh, spinning at 6.15. That's all at the Tampa Bay Black Heritage Festival. They are on Saturday and Sunday. It's their 23rd music festival, uh, and you can hear lots more about that. You can go online to Tampa blackheritage.org slash musicfest for more information. Also, uh, probably tune in to uh, the house party on Saturday nights because Senflo usually has some great interviews and stuff with them. Also, I want to mention very sad news uh, for the world of art, uh, both locally and nationally, internationally. Uh, the wonderful photographer, community activist, all-around awesome guy, Herb Snitzer, uh, passed earlier this week. Uh, he photographed uh, for Life magazine and all sorts of different things. He was extremely active in uh, trying to uh, help fight against racism and fight for civil rights. And so we want to pour one out for Herb Snitzer, just such a really good person. If you go online to HerbSnitzer.com, you can see a lot of his work and find out more about him. That's spelled H-E-R-B-S-N-I-T-Z-E-R.com. And Herb Snitzer, you're just uh, someone who I will always admire and respect. I want to make sure that got out here. It's also uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, birthday celebration this weekend. And coming up next, we've got a little thing from him and from Maya Angelou here on Art in Your Ear on WMNF. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. Yeah. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. 
I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine You may write me down in history. You may write me down in history. With your bitter twisted lines. With your bitter twisted lines. You may trod me. You may trod me. In the very dirt. In the very dirt. But still like dust. Does my fashion upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Why are you beset with gloom? So this uh, special, special kind of day when we both uh, celebrate the legacy of Dr. King and mourn the passing of Herb Snitzer, and those are definitely related. There's uh, probably with everything that we have in our world, the uh, the fulcrum of civil rights and everything during the last century 
continuing today, um, is, you know, really sort of talks about that century. With me, I'm so excited. Let me sure, make sure I have the right mic on. I'm so excited to welcome back to Art in Your Ear, Peter Kageyama. Thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure, Joellen. Good to see you. Uh, it's very nice to see you. Uh, in I know where I want to start with your book, but thinking a lot about your book, about this week was my mom's birthday, uh, which will make sense why I'm bringing it up in a minute, uh, about your book, about all the you know, civil rights, Dr. King, stuff like that. Um, our country, and every country probably you know, in its own way, has a history of looking at groups who are not the predominant leading groups and, and mm-hmm. has acted in a biased ways against them. That's my most diplomatic way I can say it. Yes. Um, there were stories that my mom and grandmother told of during World War II because uh, my grandmother was German, even though as Romas we lost millions of, you know, if Romas were killed, um, she was spit on in the street. Mm-hmm. You are third generation Japanese American. And, yes. you know, and so this is important for the book that we're going to talk about. So yeah. there's that type of, you know, internment and, and putting people yes. in concentration camps here in the United States. And then, of course, so obvious still to this day about the bias and prejudice against people of black heritage and Latino, I mean, all different heritage. And so this is a really good weekend to sort of see how all this sort of comes, kind of comes together and wishes together. So you've written Hunter's Point. Uh, it debuts this month. Yes. Officially. Next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Dun, da, da. Dun, da, da. Yes. And, uh, and it's a book that's based in San Francisco. So I want to start about San, with San Francisco. Why, uh, why is our, our uh, left coast, east coast guy mm-hmm. starting with a book in San Francisco? Part of it is because my father was born there, so and the story is very much influenced by his experience. And he was a Nisei, second generation Japanese American, born in San Francisco in 1926, and was interned uh, during World War II. So San Francisco plays deep in my family's history uh, there as well. And my own relationship with San Francisco actually began in 1981. I was a teenager. My dad took me back there for the first time to kind of show me where he was from. And get a sense of that. And I grew up in Akron, Ohio. And as a mixed-race kid, Asian, you know, heritage, nobody looked like me uh, there. So there was this sense of, like, you know, of, of being an other uh, there. And the first thing that I realized when I got to San Francisco was, holy cow, everybody looks like me. And that was a wildly interesting experience. And it was always, so San Francisco always fired my imagination. And, and it is one of those cities that has a, uh, a mystique about it. You say San Francisco and you, you feel the fog and, you know, you see the bay and it's like this, you know, it's sort of noir feel. Same thing with like, you know, Paris or London, you know, those places. They have this built-in mystique. And certainly as a writer, you want to find ways to build in that kind of uh, identity into the stories that you tell. So, yeah, it was, a, it was the natural, it had to be set there. My dad served uh, mainly in Japan during the Korean War and loved, loved Japan and loved San Francisco, like mm. loved San Francisco. Uh, and, and I'm from New York, so we're, mm. very city, we're a very city-friendly <laughs> family. Was there, um, when your dad took you back then in, that teen, in those teenage years, uh, did your dad reveal things about himself sort of in an active way or did he reveal stuff about himself just in mm. what he was showing you? For My dad was one of the, the, those Asian parents who do not, didn't show a whole lot of emotion about that. And certainly it was characteristic of my dad's generation. Those who were interned, uh, they didn't talk about it. 
you know, and if they did, it was a sort of very offhand, oh, yeah, it was, it, oh, yeah, that night I knew this guy in camp, in camp. Yeah, and I heard that expression a lot, but he never really delved into it uh, there. So I think taking his son to San Francisco was an attempt to sort of say, this is who I am uh, there. And for a famously sort of reserved man, that was a lot uh, there. But uh, yeah, it was only years later that I fully started to understand and unpack all of that. In Hunter's Point, there's a father also who yeah. is reticent and typifies oh, the, yeah. um, and not uh, typifies that generation, typifies the, the immigrant generation, uh-huh. though I think your dad was not an immigrant. Well, correct. My dad was, so in some ways, the, the grandfather, uh, that would be my grandfather, my father's father, was the father figure in mm-hmm. there, uh, there as well. Yeah, the Issei, Issei Ichi-ni-san, uh, mm-hmm. there, first, second, third. You say, so my, uh, my grandfather was the first to come over here, and my dad, like I said, was born here. Um, and I think that, that whole generation, especially the men, were very sort of closed off right. uh, yeah. about things. Because I'm, I'm also the kid of immigrants and, and, yeah. and, you know, and, and a couple of different generations, depending which side of the family you look at. And it was always very difficult to find out um, anything like we could ask grandmothers about the food they made uh-huh. and how they did that part, and we could ask grandfathers about the cars they had or their their actions that yeah. they took. But feelings? Oh no 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 no! Do not go there. Yeah. So Hunter's Point is there's so many things to talk about. Hunter's Point is your first novel. You've Correct. written several books, uh-huh. and uh, and then you decided you wrote a novel. And how is it that this? That, that you sort of yeah. went into novel writing as opposed to the other writing. Well, was one of those sort of nice byproducts of COVID is, you know, being home and, you know, having some stuff to do. And so there were two, I wrote two books during COVID. One was the 10 year anniversary of my first book, the For the Love of Cities. And it's called For the Love of Cities Revisited. And it was great to do that. It kind of got me back into the writing habit. And I actually read a book and everyone says, oh, what inspired you? And I can point to it. It was a very specific book. It was called Facing the Mountain uh, by a guy named Daniel James Brown. And I highly recommend it for historians and people who are just interested in our collective history. But it was about the Japanese-American experience during World War II. And it reads like a great novel. And so many of those stories were all of the things that my dad never told me. Uh, there and so reading this is like is like wow coming to understand sort of him and I started putting two and two together and I had again I I kind of had this uh, a writing bug at the at that time and I quietly started to just sort of think about this character uh, there in this city what, what would happen you know twenty you know fifteen years after World War Two if you know if my dad who you know uh, had stayed there you know and, and all this stuff so it was this sort of quiet outgrowth uh, of that curiosity. And I didn't tell anybody I was writing a novel until I was about three or four chapters in, and I handed it to my wife and said, hey, um, I've been writing something. And she said, really? And I was like, so we're kind of off and running with that. But it was, it was one of the, again, a nice byproduct of COVID. So, but I'm going to guess that your dad maybe was not a private detective? No, dad was not a private <laughs> did detective. Did he ride a motorcycle? He did not. He did, <laughs> I, I, made, I made the character a lot cooler in, in real life than, uh, or than, than my dad was in real life. Um, but, well, yeah, it's a novel. It's supposed to be. Yeah, of course. You know, um, do you ride a motorcycle? I did. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, you know, they say all characters, you know, writers write about what they know and every character, I guess, is a bit of you. This literally is a bit of me because it mm-hmm. it's, it's my father. There's some elements of myself. And the, the main female character is clearly is my mother. She shares the same name. Um, mm-hmm. So my dad was an, a Japanese-American man and my mother was an Irish-American woman. Uh, which was revol- you know, revolutionary mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, it was illegal in you know, a dozen states or so until 1967. 
uh, there. So that their relationship it, itself was actually just when did that law pass in December that that states can no longer like don't have the option of decrypt of criminalizing mixed yes. race. Well, I well, mean that was part of the of yes the, the protection of, of marriage. That, right. Yes, all of that. But it do, it goes back to in, in 1967. It was Loving versus Virginia. Right. Finally, the Supreme Court struck down those um, you know the the prohibitions that were still on the books in many states mm-hmm. uh, about interracial marriage. So yeah, we've come a long way, and yet we haven't. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> That's what uh, this whole last couple of weeks keep on reminding me of that, and every which way I face in the in the news. So. I started um, reading Hunter's Point, and I have to say, uh, I'm not a. I have written book reviews, but this is not a book review show. Really enjoyed it. There's, uh, it's snappy. I don't know how else to say it. It's snappy. Things move along. There's not. Um, I mean, there's some digressions in it, but the digressions matter and are interesting but but you know I mean the first batch I sat down and started reading I was like okay I've got an hour I can start reading this and I was uh, yeah I didn't stop until like page 110 I was like, wow. like I was like okay I really actually have to do some work today you know <laughs> and stuff like that so it was snappy it was fun to read it is uh Based on some true events, and it's it's a thriller. Yeah. It's a thriller. Yeah. It's a it's sort of a mystery, but it's a thriller, and there's a lot of action in it. It's based on some events. Yeah. Where did like how did it start? You want to write about San Francisco. You want to write about your dad. You want to write about this, but but yeah. So the story, or the first sort of idea in my head was to set it against um, the filming of Vertigo. Great movie, filmed in uh, San Francisco in uh, 1957. And debuts in uh, April of 1958. So that's okay. That'd be a pretty cool sort of backdrop. And then you start doing some research, and you find out, okay, what else was going on here? And it's like I didn't realize that the San Fr- that the then um, um, uh, Giants, uh, New York Giants baseball team, was moving to San Francisco and started their first you know thing in 1958. It's like okay, what was going on with that? And then you start reading about what was else was happening uh, there. And Hunters Point is a real place. It was a naval base. It was a huge naval base on the West Coast. Uh, there and all kinds of really shady stuff happened there, and it was all—it's all been documented there. It, the the national the Naval Radiological Detection Laboratory to study the effects of radiation uh, on all kinds of things goes there in part because they had the, the great idea of actually towing an irradiated aircraft carrier from the Bikini Atoll um, uh, atomic bomb test. Let's could, tow that back into San Francisco Bay and park it there for several years. Like, Let's yeah, just have radiation what, yes. zooming out. And that wasn't, and that was the most obvious thing that they did, but there was a lot of, again, very clandestine things that happened uh, there. And so the, the, the long uh, effect is that in, by the 1980s, this, this base is shut down. It is a Superfund site and it has been a Superfund site for 30 years. And this is about a thousand acres of waterfront property in, in, in San Francisco. You'd think there'd be a financial incentive to clean that up and figure that out. They still haven't been able to do it. Because uh, there's so much radiation. It is, well, it's radiation and and, and chemical and other right. kinds of environmental uh, uh, toxins there. Yeah, it's that messed up that they can't figure out how to what to do with a thousand acres of waterfront property in San Francisco. You know, and I was wondering when I, you know, uh, I mean, I vaguely remember hearing about Hunter's Point uh, or reading about Hunter's Point in something somewhere. Some I work for an environmental organization, so it was something sure. in there. So it was, you know, in the last two years, it's been in in front of my face. Uh, and I was wondering because in your book, one of the um, one of the interesting characters, and not super main characters, is dying of cancer. Yes. And and I was thinking about like, oh, you know, there's all these um, all these different pieces that might have to come together. 
And one of the things when you're in the book is that there's all these little areas, like these little people pop up and there's something, somebody says something. And then a lot of times, all of a sudden, that thing that happened 56 pages before yeah. pops up again. Uh, and so I want to ask, I want to uh, go away from San Francisco and ask a little bit about your writing process. Uh-huh. So uh, this was, uh, you know, writing fiction maybe or maybe is not different than writing nonfiction. Oh, it is. Okay. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about that. But before even getting to that, did you have to sort of take notes or keep like a separate notebook as to what you were doing, where it was? Or was it all in your head? You go back and read it because that's what I was yeah. really impressed. I mean, literally, and I want to say fifty-six pages longer because I went back and looked. You know, like to know. Okay, I'm dropping this clue in, and this shows up there. How did you like? How did yeah. you sort of track that? I was not that structured uh, about that. I mean, I know that there are some writers, and you know, say, oh yeah, you plot out everything, and then there are others who say, you know, don't plot. You know, have a story and let it sort of evolve, and you know. So I'm probably far more on to that side, but I think maybe that's just the how I wanted. To, to do it and of course good editing helps like oh yeah you know like my wife Lisa would point out how oh, you know you, you mentioned that back there so, oh really so, oh yeah okay well we can tie that together so good editing absolutely helps having a good reader having too. a good reader <laughs> I mean, she's, she's my first reader in all things uh, there so um, that sort of Again, first time going down this path, you know, and it is a different path than writing nonfiction. I, I certainly will say that. Um, and I guess I, I think I've found something that, that works for me. It may not work for everybody, but yeah, I, I don't want to get too plotted out, but there are certain points you absolutely do. Like, I, I think this needs to happen, this, 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 and you sort of like, oh yeah, I kind of see where we're going. Mm-hmm. not exactly sure how we're going to get there yet, but yeah, we're going to end up somewhere over there. Was it, uh, it sounds fun. It is fun. <laughs> I've actually, yeah. I mean, I've always, I always enjoyed writing. But this is absolutely much more fun uh, than the other stuff that I was doing. Um, I, I, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. Well, and you know, part of this is uh, I'm being very self-centered in this <laughs> in this portion of the interview because I write. I write for a living. It's what I do. Yeah. I love writing. Yeah. I've always. It's all I've ever wanted to do, and I'm glad to be doing it. But I do not write. Um, any type of fiction because I can't do plots. I have no idea about plots. I can do character. I can do dialogue. I can do the set of scene. I have plots frighten frighten me and scare me. So yeah. so that you went and you're like, yeah, I got a plot. I got I can do this. I can do this. I want to. I would like you to expand a little bit on on how you like. Did you develop the characters kind of along in your writing process? Did you understand mm-hmm. who you were writing about? And for more, or how how did that how did yeah. it develop? I I knew who this character, the, you know, the main characters were sort of from the beginning, and as they you know as we go along, they reveal more and more about themselves. It's like oh yeah, well, that's 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 great. Yeah, let's let's think about that. Um, and there were some things that's like I hadn't planned on that. Then it's like at some point it's like oh that's a great idea. You know, so we'll add that. Um, there, Stephen King had a, has a really interesting sort of perspective on this, and if and, and one of the greatest books about writing has, that has ever been written is simply called On Writing by Stephen King. I highly recommend it. Uh, there, but he says, look, I create a situation, I create these characters, and I let them figure out how to get out of it. Now, I'm not that clever, and I have to have a little bit more structure around where I think I'm going. But that's pretty good advice. You know, I mean, you say you write characters. Like, I know characters. I have an idea. Like, uh, I think you get, people get wrapped up. It's like, well, I don't know where the plot's going. Like, that's okay. I don't either. Um, and honestly, there were times like I knew kind of where it was going to end, but I didn't know exactly how we were going to get there or the twists and turns. And, and I didn't need to. And then you have that moment where you're writing something and go, 
that's cool. Yeah, let's do that uh, there. And it's wonderful. You know, it's this like, uh, it's like discovering something. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend the feeling uh, there. And it is a little scary to not know exactly where you're going. Um, but if you have a little faith and you know a good support system around you, you can get there. And you, we, a million times on—I don't know if a million times, but many times on this show, we've seen the difference with visual artists. Some mm -hmm. artists know exactly what they're going to do once they put a brush to the canvas, and some are like, yeah. "Let's see where this goes. Yeah. I have an idea." Yeah. So that's analogous. Well, dear listeners, we are speaking with Peter Kagayama, who has a new book coming out this month uh, called *Hunter's Point*. Uh, it's his first novel. He's written several uh, books about cities about kind of a sense of place uh, and a sense of, uh, and I would say that having a sense of place also has a sense of time in it uh, because every place morphs and morphs over. Mm -hmm. I've lived in St. Pete uh, off and on since the early 80s and certainly the St. Pete today uh, is different than the St. Pete that I moved to, but there's all little, you know, special special things for it. The This book is set in 58, and you talked about Vertigo and Hunter's Point and the Giants and stuff like that. What else is it about the late 50s that made it the right time for this book? Well, from a cultural standpoint, San Francisco was the epicenter of the, the beat renaissance that was going on there. So you know, Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac, who both of whom make appearances mm -hmm. uh, in, in this book, along with several other uh, of the, the beat poets and the beat writers. Uh, so there was this excitement about San Francisco. And, you know, there was this whole moving west kind of thing. You know, this is the you know, Eisenhower days. You know, we're post-World uh, War II or post the, the Korean War. Um, the, the West, especially California, represented this sort of idealized idea of, like, um, of what's next. Mm -hmm. And that's great. Um, but also there's this realization that there's this lingering and, and very still pervasive uh, issues of race and identity uh, in this place. And certainly in Katz is a Japanese-American, uh, but it, it's, it was very true for, for Hispanics and for, for African-Americans. I think all kinds of and people. And the Italians in it. And I mean, Italians, that's it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we tend to think about San Francisco as being this sort of very liberal, progressive city. Well, it wasn't always that way, and it had to get there. And there mm -hmm. was definitely some growing pains with that. And the beats were the beginnings, you know, the beats were the, the progenitors of the hippies in some ways, right? Uh, there. So we see where... This, this city is going, but it's not there yet, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a struggle sometimes to become that, uh, that kind of city. And yeah, it was just a really fascinating time. Well, it does sound like it's sort of a crossroads because you have mm -hmm. the next is happening sort of typified or, yeah. or looked at as the beats and then also the inner, um, interracial relationships yes. in yeah. it. And then you have the past is very, very, uh, very present yeah. in it, you know, so it has all these types of mixings. So when you, um, I assume that you had, once you knew, okay, this is happening, and uh, and also once it was okay to travel within the time of COVID, of yes. COVID I assume you went to San Francisco. We did. Uh, went there twice last year. Um, spring, and that was like the main thing. The, most of the story was written, but I, I wanted to go there to get a better feel of it, to, to really polish it, to make the, the city feel like a real place that I'd walked into. You kind of have to. Yeah, since that your I, other that books, I, you I don't walked, really... Yeah, <laughs> that I walked into the Fairmont Hotel and I'd been in the Tonga Room uh, there and we walked through Chinatown and, and I'd seen Hunter's Point, you know, in person and walked into that Bayview Heights neighborhood. Uh, yeah, that made it real for me and hopefully that makes it feel real to, you know, somebody who's going to be reading uh, my 
my story. Is that when you were writing your other books, was that needing to be in those oh, places yeah. also important? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it was uh, Thomas Friedman who said, you got to go to know. You know, he mm-hmm. famously travels all over the world uh, and writes about, you know, stuff. But yeah, you got to go to know. I mean, there's some things, you know, you know, certainly the internet's a fantastic tool and, you know, there's not every place that you need to go to tell a, a story about it. And I haven't written, I, I've written stuff about places I've not actually been because it's a great story mm-hmm. uh, there. But I think, you know, being in a place, standing there, you know, on the streets, taking it in, smelling the place, you know, just getting that perspective is important. Had you been to San Francisco before the COVID trips? Yes. Uh, my dad actually retired out there uh, in the late Right, 80s. and you had, of course, the, So yeah, and I would go out to see him once or twice a year. Uh, he lived over in Oakland, but or excuse me, uh, East Bay, uh, Berkeley. And um, but I always made a point, you know, when I was going went into San Francisco uh, when I was there too. Was there a difference uh, going to flesh out your your book? Yes, because <laughs> I had a purpose uh, mm-hmm. there. So yeah, it was very intentional about the things that we decided we were going to do and the stuff that I, I kind of knew I needed to see uh, there. And I actually had a chance to sort of, um, and I talked with his widow. Uh, you know, my, I guess my stepmother Mm -hmm. uh, about this and I explained to her what I was doing and she kind of blessed it and uh, gave me a a little more insight about some things uh, as well. It was good to ask her some questions Mm -hmm. uh, and all that too. Is your mom still alive? No, no. Both my parents have passed. Had you ever talked to your mom about her history? A little bit. Less, I mean, mom was, my mom was much more open and and, and vivacious about that. Uh, So I knew a little bit more about her history. Uh, there, but there, but even the stuff about with my dad. My parents were together for about three years total, mm-hmm. you know, and, and revolutionary at the time. But it was challenging, no doubt about it. Right, and I, I and certainly that you know that was part of I think the reason why they ended up splitting apart mm-hmm. uh, there. So I knew a few stories uh, there, and she shared you know enough of that. But uh, yeah, this was actually a, writing about both of them, and, and I think especially my father. This was a way to have conversations with them. And unfortunately, I didn't get to actually have. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I want to talk a little bit uh, in your book, Hunter's Point. Uh, you have a detective named Katz, and uh, and he is Japanese. Uh, a, he's an American citizen, but yes. again, as we talked about, he's Japanese. Uh, so, you know, in, we we talked a little bit about him. Uh, and and you have mentioned that this is ideally the beginning of a series that yeah. you can see sort of some adventures. I'm already that, well into book two. Because, so, yeah. so yeah. So as you kind of hang out with him, uh, this is not a criticism at all. But it's like he doesn't have a lot of faults. You know, he mm. seems to really have his act together. Yeah. Uh, and when you're like, is it, <laughs> <laughs> so is it helpful to have a character? Like you can, it seems like you can trust your character. Like you can trust him yeah. to make good decisions about things. And so when a decision yeah. is made, when you're writing, you're like, yeah, I can go with this because I trust my guy. Um, I think, yeah, that was part of it. Um, but I can already tell you that I know from the second book and where we're at, um, we're going to find out that, you know, that Cats has, uh, has some issues as well. Um, cats. Cats a hero. Cats, yeah. I want things to go well for Cats. Oh, and, I really like him. I really liked I, him. I have to tell you. I love really Cats. Liked him I lot. love yeah. writing about him. And, and no, we're not going to find out he's a serial killer or anything like that. <laughs> no, but, um, uh, he was a vet. You know, right. he was part of that, the, the 442nd, the Nisei, uh, regiment, you know, the all Nisei, uh, uh, regiment that fought in Europe. And in in the story, he's a wounded combat veteran. He's a decorated uh, mm-hmm. veteran. 
Um, and they didn't call it PTSD back then, but you know, you expect that folks who've been through that kind of you know experience, that kind of trauma, they have issues of PTSD, and that's actually a, a more central theme in the second book. Uh, there, and we realize, wow, Katz is—he's holding it together, and he puts on a great front. But like all of us, you know, we have the the facade that we give to the, mm-hmm. the world, and then there's what's really going on sometimes, and, and not, they don't always reconcile. There's uh, uh, a lot of people may have—I mean, a lot of people watched the Prince Harry interview with Stephen Colbert that happened earlier this week, mm. and in it, he's talking about. Um, they're talking about how the press in England uh, mis, mis, like misstated when he talked about uh, that he had killed Taliban. Mm-hmm. And in his conversation, he was talking about like how you have to frame it for yourself because mm-hmm. otherwise it's so damaging to yeah. the self. And you know, he was very worried about um, veteran suicide. And that's part of his goal was to sort of reframe the horrors that people have to do to protect something that's important. And, uh, and there's glimpses of that within this yes. book and with Kat, it's like, there's stuff you have to do because there's yeah. things that are more important than sort of protect, you know, really pro- protecting your soul in a way, you know, like you have to do these things because that's what matters more. Yeah. Um, and that's absolutely going to be a theme that uh, will be developed in the in the next book. Um, a good friend of mine, she's a psych, she's a psychiatrist, and she mm-hmm. I actually got the chance to talk with her about sort of PTSD and trying to understand that, you know, from a character perspective and trying to make that whatever I say about this, uh, I hope has to be somewhat authentic. And 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 I want to be I don't want to be you know I don't want to upset people mm-hmm. with any of that. And if any and if we're going to give advice or you know through you know through fiction, you want to make sure it's pretty solid. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, whoops. Um, well, oh my gosh, the time is, is flying by. And I have a million more questions. I, I want to mention, is there a part of the book, um, I did not ask you this before, is there a part of the book that you uh, especially want to highlight for people that you want to sort of say like this, this, you know, a part that was either uh, especially fun or especially moving, mm-hmm. something that you did in that book that maybe surprised yourself or, or or matters in a way that is outsized to some other things in yeah, the book? Yeah, there's a scene in the book where Katz and his family are being uh, evacuated as, you know, early 1942. Um, and uh, a photograph is taken. Here's this click behind him, and he turns around, and there's a woman taking a photograph. And in the story, it's this woman named Dorothea Lang, who was a world-famous photographer uh, at the time who documented uh, a lot of stuff. But um, And he has a conversation with her, and this actually leads to an event later in the book that's kind of important. Well, that actually happened. That was, but it wasn't Katz. It was actually my father who was in that photo. And it was a photo that I did not see while he was alive. It's in the National Archives. And I actually, I highlight it in the book, and it's actually, it's in there. Uh, but it's him standing there looking over his shoulder uh, with this kind of haunted look on his face. He's 15 years old. Uh, he's been told you have two weeks to basically sell everything and report here with two suitcases. And he has no idea what his future is. And I think it's the worst day of his life. And I had no idea that that photo was going to be in the story. But at one point it clicked. It's like, that's, that surprised me. And it, was, and it made it very real for me. And then there's a, there's a later conversation that Katz has with Dorothea Lang because he becomes, they, they're connected now. They're forever. And in some ways, I feel like my father and Dorothea Lang are connected forever because of that one incredible moment uh, of that photograph. And that photograph meant um, so much 
it had so much information in it, it about who we were as a society at yeah. that second when we were taking just uh, hundreds 100, of thousands, 120,000 Japanese Americans yeah. and putting them in an internment uh-huh. camp, which is such a dark stain that I know in uh, growing up in a fairly progressive uh, Catholic school that we read about a little bit, I think in sixth grade, but we read maybe three paragraphs yeah, about it. That's and it. It's one of those like, very glossed over. Yeah. Yes. And then finally in uh, in high school, like senior year of high school, it was something that everybody focused on for a semester. It was part of it. But, you know, that was unusual. I could talk to my other friends who did not go to my school and they'd be like, we have no idea what you're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. It was, not this, it was not part of the curriculum when I was a kid uh, there. I mean, I knew about it and that was a little bit different. But yeah, it's one of those sadly, you know, uh, swept under the rug kind of things. Mm-hmm. And you have a, you showed me before, you've got a photo of... You yeah. standing in the exact same place. Yeah, we found that place uh, there. It's you know on Van Ness uh, Boulevard, and yeah, it kind of posed the same way. And I, it's uh, it's eighty years apart uh, there. Him standing there as a young man, and I'm looking up the street, and I was very conscious. It's like you know, again, that photo told me more about my father just than than ma- most of the conversations. Did your dad hearing. tell you that that photo existed? No, I don't think he even knew. Really. Um, my aunt and some of my cousins eventually found uh, all this years later. Right. Again, it's in the National Archives right. uh, there. So, yeah. And, and you look like your dad. You can see. Yeah. Like, so to see your dad, your young dad staring back at you Yeah, the over profile the is there, the nose, Oof, the oh eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty yeah. heavy duty. <laughs> it was. And, and, but it, it, it's one of those things that's like, uh, like I said, doing this book has been an amazing way to connect with my father. Sorry. Um, so I wanted, since we are almost out of time, I do want to mention that you have, uh, I, well, I do want to mention something really quickly, which is a total tonal shift, but you, you and I, before getting on the air, had talked about Herb Snitzer. Yeah. And he was someone that you had a, a good relationship Herb. with. Yeah, I, I've, I've known Herb for over 20 years. Herb was an amazing man, and uh, I learned a lot from him. And something that, you know, he said that I actually have repeated many times in my work with places and cities. You know, I talk about the importance of arts and most cities will at least pay lip service to the idea of the importance of, of, of arts. And usually that manifests like, oh, we'll support an arts festival. We'll, you know, mm-hmm. donate to museums. And Herb said, it's not enough to just be a city of the arts. You also have to be a city for the artists, mm-hmm. you know, that it's the people who make this stuff. Uh, there that, that we want to consume. It's got to remember them in that right. equation. They have they have to be able to yes. survive as artists, yeah. or else they go somewhere else, which yeah. has ha- which happened a lot. Um, so Tombolo Books mm, is yes. uh, you have a reading at Tombolo Books, which is located in beautiful downtown St. Pete. Yes, it is, and that is January thirty first. There we go. Uh, it's available on my website peterkageyama.com. You can find it there or Tombolo Books uh, also. And then we're doing something at. Um, uh, Barnes and Noble out there by Tyrone on Saturday, February fourth, from okay. about eleven a.m. till about one p.m. Fine. And then it's the studio at six twenty the following week. Uh, there uh, Tuesday night, uh, February seventh, uh, starts at seven thirty. We're doing a, a talkback uh, thing with myself and Paul Wilborn. Oh. I know it was your, on your show just not <laughs> yeah. too long ago. Paul's a good friend, and we're being sort of interviewed by our the inimitable uh, Bob Devin Jones. So that'll be really fun. And I think yeah. Maureen McDowell is interviewing you at Tom Below. Correct. So, and then you also are doing a, pe- a podcast, 
or a guest on the pod. Has it already been recorded? No, or? we're doing that. Uh, a friend of mine, Rodney Paul, out in California. Rodney was an amazing guide who showed me around San Francisco when I was there. Uh, both times, actually. But he's got this uh, this Bay Trails uh, podcast. We're going to talk about cities. We're going to talk about Hunter's Point because Hunter's Point is one of those interesting things that is part of the this trail system uh, mm-hmm. that's out there. Ah. Yeah. So everybody, as as Peter said, you can go to his website. It's Peter, and it's spelled K A G E. Y-A-M-A. So PeterKagayama.com. You can also look at our Facebook page, Art in Your Ears Facebook page. I've got info up there. And after the show, there'll be info up on the WMNF Art in Your Ear page with all these dates and everything on there so you can find it. Uh, so... So have you done... I know you've done a, you know, a quadrillion readings for the love of cities. Do you, do you feel differently? Is there like, how are you feeling about doing these in front of people for a novel that you Oh, this is very different. Yeah, this is, uh, yeah, this this feels very different. One was sort of exposing your intellect, I suppose, and this one is more exposing your heart and your Mm -hmm. soul or something like that. Is that, is this a book you could have written 15 years ago? No, um, certainly not. I don't think I would start, I don't, I never, I never thought I was going to be a fiction writer. And I didn't even think I was going to be a writer, but my uh, dear friend of mine challenged me with some places. What do you want to say about all this stuff that you're seeing about cities? And uh, thankfully, I rose to that challenge. Um, but I don't think I could have gotten to to this novel without some other things happening. You mm-hmm. know, you got to be at the right place, right time, uh, and all that. And, and I felt when you when for the love of cities came out, there was a excuse me when it first came out, there seemed. It seemed to be part of a thing that was going on in the U.S. where people were really looking at cities and urban spaces mm-hmm. and how to live well yes. as a city. And uh, and many cities adopted some of those things. And that that sort of seems to not be the big topic of conversation well, these days, yeah. though lots of things have happened. <laughs> I mean, yeah. A few things have happened in the last few years that have sucked up a lot of the oxygen in the room. Well, because some of the things that I was talking about seem obvious now. You know, when I was talking about, hey, you know, uh, creating uh, great vibrant places where people actually want to connect with emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great placemaking uh, there. It's like, well, okay, yeah, we think that's kind of important. Well, now it's kind of given that, yes, of mm-hmm. course, great placemaking is, is required. Right, and know? people have to be able to walk. And they have to be able to walk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's not about cars. One of your uh, early there. things when you were first doing the book, and I might have been at 620 or somewhere I went and I saw you, and you were talking about that, like there needs to be, you know, walking. And someone said, like, well, it's Florida, you can't walk around. And everyone just was like, you must be new to Florida because we walk around in August. We figure you know? it out, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, certainly uh, some of our cities are better designed for walking. Uh, St. Pete is actually pretty well designed for being a, a walkable, especially it's downtown. Tampa's got some some fabulous stuff downtown, but it's a little less accessible. You can't right. walk from parts of downtown to other parts of downtown. Right, that yeah. has always been sort of its challenge. But yeah, if you, but the thing is, like, if you make it interesting enough, people, you know, will find a way to get there. Mm-hmm. And and so I know that's a, a a segue from from Hunter's Point. And so I want to end up on Hunter's Point. Uh, so Hunter's Point, uh, it's uh, officially out on the seventeenth, but I bet you could find it now. Uh, you have a reading coming up. You have a bunch of readings coming up and then you're already working on your next book. A sequel. A yeah. sequel. Uh, do you see, like, do you like, okay, I just need to figure out the next book and then I'm going to worry about the book after that. Or do oh, you no, I've, got all, I've got ideas 
for the next decade. Uh, on that. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, San Francisco, you know, we're entering the, you know, 1958. The next book will be 1959. We're entering the 60s. Like, can you, it's like, well, did anything happen in San Francisco in the 60s? A few like, things. A few things. And yeah. even in the 70s. But and then, even in the 70s. Then, because you have a, a World War II veteran as your hero, at some point there's going to be a... A little gray in the tooth, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, um, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely loving the process right now. And yeah, I, I would love to, to stay with this character for so a while. So does it need to be chronological? Like, can you, uh, would you allow yourself to write a story that happened in 1949 with him? Yeah, I okay. think so. I think I've already, yeah, at some point you want to jump back and fill in some of the gaps. But yeah, um, yeah I, I, you know, I want to get a little, little more you know, ground underneath our feet before we start looking at uh, jumping uh, backwards in time. But right. certainly there's, there's got to be some very interesting things that, oh, that, yeah. that happened along the way. That's yeah. wonderful. Well, my guest has been Peter Kagayama, and of course it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I do have 97 other questions, uh, but that will have to be for your next book. I hope you'll let, let Art in Your Ear and WMF and me know about when that's it. happening. Once again, uh, Tom Below Books on the 31st of the month, and information is online, and you'll be able to find it, all this stuff after the show, everybody. Go look at it uh, at your convenience, I would imagine. <laughs> and thank you so much. Going out, we are going to listen to uh, some, some Mitski with her beautiful song, uh, First Love, late spring here on Art in Your Ear on WMNF. Be back in a minute let you know what's going on around town.
have to lower Mitski. Sorry, Mitski. There's so much going on. I want to tell you this weekend. Of course, we mentioned the Black Heritage uh, Festival with its music this weekend. Also going on on Sunday, speaking of the beats, uh, there is a, an event for the Friends of Jack Kerouac. They are showing Howl at Green Light Cinema. That's on Sunday, this Sunday, the 15th. There's two screenings of the movie Howl. And uh, that is, let's see, tickets are available at Green Light Cinema. Pete.com and that would be um, just a, uh, a way to meet other people, meet some great beat people uh, and friends of Jack Herrick. We just had a lovely caller talking about stuff that she did in San Francisco. Also, I want to mention that The Wolves opens up this evening. The Wolves is a presentation from Think Tank Theater. It's a really uh, profound play about young women and sports and young women and how they get on with each other. Uh, it's being presented at Stageworks and I will put that information up on the Art In Your Ear Facebook page. It might already be there. Um, but that is The Wolves with Think Tank Theater. What else? Ah, that's it, I think. Right now, E-Love is getting her wonderful show set up. Uh, Ultrasounds is a show that sort of glides through uh, Global Electronica. Uh, that is this weekend. Uh, I'm sorry, that's... <laughs> I'm doing too many things at once. Uh, so that is uh, from 1 to 2 p.m. At 2 p.m. is Live Music Showcase. And so there's some live music on. Uh, I'm so sorry. I had the band's information. I don't have it right in front of me right now. Uh, but it's always fun to listen to. They do great interviews with uh, with everybody. And then after Live Music Showcase is the real fun um, is the real fun rhythm revival with our marvelous Marv, who our sympathy go out to him. He lost his mom this week, and so uh, he probably won't be there, but we are grateful for him. But also Reverend Billy does his fun show, The Roots of Rock and Roll. Hey, I want to mention that Studio 1212 in Dunedin is going to be opening, having an opening this Sunday from 1 to 4. If you're up North County, uh, you can go check that out. It's called Cycles. Ever changing, and that the reception again is this Sunday. Studio uh, 1212 is located at 234 Monroe Street in Dunedin. Um, so there you go. All right, I think what else do I need to tell you? So, oh, going on, oh, we just have seconds left. I'm going on with tonight's schedule. 6 p.m. is the Soul Party Classic R&B and Soul. Uh, and then at 8 o'clock, we've got uh, the Soul Kitchen, the Soul Kitchen, which is a smorgasbord of all sorts of rhythm-based music. Just a lovely, and you know what? He always asks you what you're cooking, so it's fun to hear what everybody's eating <laughs> Friday nights. And then we end our night with Flashback Friday, Chuck Core Jr.'s fantastic Florida-based R&B and soul. You have been listening to WMNF. WMNF, the best little station in the nation. Thank you so much for being part of this wonderful station. And then I look forward to talking to you next week. The NPR News is coming up. You've been listening to WMNF Tampa. Pretty global, they